Hello and welcome to File New, your weekly rundown of important news in the art technology and creator space. My name is Ryan Selvey. I'm a Brooklyn-based artist and I'll be taking over for Paul Tranny moving forward. This show is revived from the dead, meaning you can see previous episodes of this format from a few years ago on YouTube, but this is the start of a new reimagining of the show and I'm gonna continue to grow and adapt it to the best of my ability. Today on the show, we have the best album covers of the year. We have discussion over some art companies, complicated relationship with AI. And we have the consumer electronic show that was this week, a bunch of technology. We'll also have some time to spotlight some work, have a font of the week, create a resources, and a few thoughts on rebrands from Honda and Trivago, all packed into one tiny hour long show. Thank you for your patience as I find out what works best and what we can cut. With that in mind, please let me know what you would like to see and what interests you. You can sound off in the chat on YouTube or Behance. And of course, you can always find me online anywhere as Ryan Selvy, R-Y-A-N-S-E-L-V-Y. I'm really excited to be doing this. I've always been an internet news junkie and it's exciting to be able to share my findings with you here every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. If you can't make the live shows though, don't fret. I'm going to try after this episode airs to look into the distribution process of making this available wherever you find podcasts so you can catch up with the best news of the week, whether you're in front of your computer, on the train, or out for the run. I guess we should just hop right on into it and hop into our very first segment, which is the news. So the first news of today is the winners for Art Vinyl's best album covers of 2023 were announced. And the winner was artist Michelle Henning with her album cover for PJ Harvey's I Inside the One Year Dying. She originally played with the idea of a forest and wood imagery, but ended up opting for a single stick to reflect more classic vinyl covers. This is on itsnicethat.com, a personal website that I really like to catch up on news, especially art news. They do really good profiles. I should probably put a disclaimer in here that all of this stuff is just independently curated and picked by me. I am contracted by Adobe, but by no means any of these news stories or commentary are a reflection of Adobe's views and opinions. These are solely my own. Um, this one's from Lil Yachty. Let's start here. I generated, which is a whole nother conversation that we're going to be talking about every single week in this series, but we'll also be talking a lot about it today because there are a few stories that popped up. As you guys know, this is sponsored by Adobe. Adobe does have generative AI. I use generative AI all the time in Photoshop. So by no means is this some like, I don't know, entire smackdown of it, but I also am not going to just give it the benefit of the doubt for everything. So we will we will talk about when it works, when it makes sense, when it doesn't make sense. We also have this one, which is Yeji with a hammer cover up by Yeji. And this one's cute, has a little sledgehammer. Uh, it's over her back, over her shoulders. She has what I think is some hair flowing over it. And then this sledgehammer that has a little like Uwu face on it. And it, it kind of has this combination of cutesy, but also obviously there's the, the violence that there is with the hammer, whether that's against physical stuff or someone else. Then we have Blur the Ballad of Darren, which was created by Martin Parr in Magnum Photos. And it is a man swimming, uh, or I assume a man swimming in a very bright, saturated blue pool. And that is juxtaposed next to a very muddy looking stormy lake in the background. And it's really cool because it divides the image in tops and bottoms where the top feels very desaturated, gray and brown. And the bottom is so saturated in blue that it just feels like a complete switch, uh, almost as if you had a sky upside down, like it looks like it has a grass up at the top and the sky is on the bottom. 
but instead it's actually just a um, really saturated pool. So I have a few a few thoughts. I guess first and foremost, it's just really interesting and strange to see so many of those have AI accredited as the design. We're definitely approaching a place where artists are embracing AI and they're adjusting it. But it's also interesting to see that like some of it is just accredited to Dali. I know that you can't copyright a lot of AI images that are fully AI images. So I'm interested to see kind of like how that continues to work, because obviously we're also approaching this strange space with like Mickey Mouse that recently came open for public use from the very first Steamboat Mickey. But that also doesn't necessarily mean that it's no longer trademarked, which gets kind of confusing. And it's also going to be having to figure out kind of how all of this is then being intertwined into copyright, trademark, what is fair use, what can be owned, you name it. But next up, we have another news story. But this one, unfortunately, is some not so fun legal news. But since a lot of you are creators, I wanted to make sure that everyone was aware of it. The Corporate Transparency Act is a new law aimed at preventing money laundering, tax fraud and corruption. And it requires artists with LLCs to file certain documents by January 2025. So you have a year, but you have to do this to avoid hefty penalties and even jail time. And it's not just for big companies, it's specifically aimed at businesses with one or two people. And the law aims to make business ownership more transparent with a focus on the beneficiaries. Tax experts warn that the many artists may be aware of this requirement. I actually did not know this was a thing until I was looking up stories for this week, but it's just a separate document that you have to fill out and you have to do within the next year. I assume maybe when you sit down to do your taxes. This might be something that companies might flag. We will have to see. Once again, that is the Corporate Transparency Act, and it is in America. Next up, we have some news about Envision. Now, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Envision or not, but Envision is actually shuttering its design services in 2024. This doesn't come as a surprise for many since they were acquired by popular collaborative software company Miro and some of the stuff that they were creating was very direct competitors to Miro. Envision was introduced 12 years ago and made it easy for designers to create interactive mockups for their apps and they're going to be shuttering it. I think that means that a lot of the services are going to continue working throughout the year and then will slowly just become acquired and turn into Miro's work set. But as it stands for Envision alone, that is actually going to be ending and just moving on to Miro. So thank you Envision for your time. I used it in college, I know, because I, I, I don't know how to do any sort of coding or anything. I think you can also do this stuff now also in XD now. And so you can hop over to Adobe XD and you can create the mockups and different interactive experiences straight from Adobe's XD. So make sure you guys also check that out. Covering some more news. I know I told you we were going to be talking a little bit about AI today. And uh, last weekend, users on X, formerly known as Twitter, discovered Wacom was accidentally promoting an Intuos pen tablet with an image generated by AI. Users were quick to point out the inconsistency in the scaling of the dragon and the unnatural illustration of the hair. Wacom then deleted the post and later explained the image was selected by accident by purchasing the illustration from a third party. They then issued a statement that was longer than this, but some of the things that they said in it were, we want to assure you that using AI-generated images and these assets were not our intent. We are very grateful to be part of the creative community and we appreciate your feedback and collective knowledge in this field and for holding us accountable. As a partner for artists around the world, Wacom supports human creativity and strives to serve the community with integrity. So. 
One caveat real quick. I love my Cintiq. That's right here. <laughs> and I also don't know how to say Wacom. I don't think anyone knows how to say Wacom. It's kind of like Marriott hotels. But I thought that this was handled pretty well. I do think that it highlights an issue that we're having uh, across the board with artificial intelligence. It has its flurry of issues, including compensation and plagiarism. But even more so, we're entering this period where even the companies that are focused on artists and focused on creativity and not wanting to accidentally use AI generated imagery are falling into the fact that you can't tell what everything is on line. And I, I don't think that it is a shameful thing to buy stock illustration. I think that's a great revenue income stream for many different illustrators. And when I worked in the agency field, it was really good to be able to hop on and get an illustration for a reasonable price. And you could search for what it was and you could bring it in. They said that they had an AI system detection that failed in this. And I think that this is another instance of where we can't fully rely on the AI detection software because the AI detection software time and time again is proving to show that it does not catch everything. This is also an issue in colleges with writing essays. People have been falsely accused of plagiarizing with their essays with AI, and it turned out to not be AI. Same with articles, you name it. But that doesn't mean that we can kind of just throw it all to the wind. I think we're gonna have to continue to keep our eye on what it means to have AI generated art and how we interact with it and being honest when it is what's for sale rather than when something is being for sale that is just for illustration. Sounding off in the chat, we have Kendall who says, my guess is that it was likely an intern or someone extremely busy trying to build the imagery and it's a shame it turned out the way that it did. Agreed, yes, I, I, I fully believe, and once again, these are all my own opinions, but I fully believe that Wacom is a very good contributor to the creative community. And I do not disbelieve this statement in the idea that they are like, oops, <laughs> sorry, thanks for letting us know. Like, let us know if this happens more. I think they'll have to kind of introduce some more process to make sure it doesn't happen again, because, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. But it is something that I think is gonna have to be adapted, but we're all learning at the same exact time. So I do have some feelings for it. Um, next up, I want to take a little bit of time to talk about CES, which if you guys don't know, CES is the Consumer Electronics Show. It's out in Las Vegas every January. I have never gone. I always really want to go. It is basically when a bunch of the different electronic manufacturers come and just bring all of their stuff to the floor and they have different press conferences and they just say, hey, what 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 fits what what's going to work and for the longest time it was a little getting a little irritating because uh it was all just phones 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 but we are on this precipice of once again artificial intelligence and the idea that there is new formats and new things happening there's also the idea of vr ar xr you name it uh, all of those are all different acronyms for reality so that was virtual reality augmented reality mixed reality extended reality i have four different things that have been announced this week. And the first one would be there is a Sony mixed reality headset for 3D content creation. Now, this is a headset that is specifically focused at 3D creators. This is not to play video games. This is not kind of like a, a catch all device. This is 
specifically aimed at what they say spatial content creation. And I think this is really interesting because Sony already has the PSVR 2, which is the PlayStation Virtual Reality Headset 2. It is essentially kind of bringing creators into the idea of being able to work with mixed reality. To follow that up, actually, the, even though they were not there, Apple also announced this week that they have a launch date for the Apple Vision Pro, which is $3,500, and that is going to launch on February 2nd. Now, something that was also really interesting about their announcement this week was that the company is asking all developers in the developer kit not to say mixed reality, virtual reality, augmented reality, extended reality, all of that, which is kind of the standard and what you talk about when you think of putting on a headset, you are actually being encouraged to just use spatial computing, which who's to say if that's gonna catch on or not? Spatial computing is definitely a different approach to the idea of what is going to be included. The reason I'm including these headsets is because as creators, there is a new frontier and a new format for us to also understand how the work is being created. From my understanding, a lot of the developers that are working on apps right now for the spatial computing are essentially just taking iPad apps and changing them to kind of have curved sides so that they feel a little bit more natural in the Vision Pro atmosphere. But that will probably change once it starts getting into hands, because right now I feel like Apple doesn't really want people to buy this first one. They know it's $3,500. It's essentially just going to developers so that developers are going to be able to use it and create new things. Is it gonna catch on? Is it gonna be the new iPhone? Who's to say? I have a feeling we're getting closer to that. The technology is getting smaller, but it will be interesting to see once this comes out on February 2nd, alongside other things like Meta has their headset and Sony was also working on that 3D creation thing. It'll be interesting to see where this kind of moves forward. Speaking of new frontiers, there also was another hit at CES and it's called the Rabbit. And it actually has 10,000 units that they had for presale and sold out in one day. And it is this small handheld device that is not a phone. It has a rotating little camera on it so you can film towards you and elsewhere. And it is a new language model that is all, I believe, on system. And you can set up different things with it to only interact with voice. It's not app focused. So their whole thing was all of the technology that we have now is app focused. You think of your TV with Roku, you think of your phone, you think of your computer, like everything is very app focused. They're saying AI is taking the app situation out of what you have. So that there's this idea that you can just pick it up, talk to it, and it will figure things out. That said, you can also go on and you like preload it with the services that you use. So you still will be using Spotify or Apple Music or what have you through it, but you have to set it up so that it knows to pull from the same catalog of stuff that you work with. My interesting thing is here is we have a bunch of developers, we have a bunch of creators that are producing content that is generally the fodder and the creation for all of these apps. They're getting rid of the apps. Does that mean that the content creators then have a closer direct streamline to people? How does that work with discovery? How does that work with how creators are going to broadcast their work and continue to talk to people? Because you're not going to pull up. Like, I mean, I guess you could say show me an image and then an image will happen. But I don't know what that looks like. And I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued and something to keep an eye on, but all 10,000 sold out within a day. I don't know how long this is going to last because as long as like 
the iPhone or Google like implement more lang large language models onto their devices. I don't know if you're gonna want to have another thing that you hold on, but it is really interesting to see. It's called the Rabbit. Uh, Mercedes introduced a system that changes the music based off of your driving. This doesn't really have much to do with creators. I just included this because I thought this was so weird and interesting. And Will I Am basically helped uh, announce this from the Black Eyed Peas. And he is basically saying like it tunes your music to the way that you are driving, whether it is acceleration, deceleration, braking, turning. It goes off of that. And all the reporters that I read that tested it said they were skeptical going into it. But then it ended up not <laughs> not being a disappointment. And everyone's like, wait, this is actually pretty cool. <laughs> So there's something to check out on your own time. It is from Mercedes. So make sure you just give that a Google and check it out. That's all the news that we have for today for Creator News and Art and CES. Thank you for sitting through with me for the technology. I do want to move on to another art piece that is a little bit news related, but it really wants to focus on what you guys think and what you have on your takes. So let's hop into thoughts. <laughs> All right, so thoughts. Earlier this week, someone online used a generative AI to complete Keith Haring's 1989 piece called Unfinished Painting. Uh, Keith Haring's unfinished painting represents his struggle with AIDS. He created the piece during his last year of life, and the artwork symbolizes the abrupt and unfinished nature of lives cut short by AIDS, reflecting both personal and broader social context of the epidemic. So this is what the actual piece looks like that he created in 1989. It's on a on a canvas, it has pieces and then it abruptly stops and moves over. The one that was then created as a means to quote unquote finish it looks like this and comes from an X user. You can see that a lot of the forms are not there. Like in the very first one, we have this idea of kind of figures and humans that you normally see with Keith Haring. The AI was so-so on being able to figure it out and, and fill the rest. Now, a lot of people called it unethical and others applauded it for stirring up controversy. Is the act of stirring up controversy art itself, kind of in the way of like, you know, writing the name on the urinal or something? Or is it something that we should not touch things that are no longer able to be analyzed or approved or commented on by the artist? I think this one in particular is a tough one to justify finishing it because the idea and the act of not having it finished is part of the final piece for it. The whole thing is the idea that the AIDS crisis killed way too many people way too early. And the idea that the, the piece is incomplete is something that I think is part of the piece. And finishing it is taking away from that. That said, I don't know if I necessarily think that it's like spitting on his grave. It's interesting to see how these systems take this and rework it and try to understand what's going on. Is this what it would look like if he actually finished it? I don't think so. But I do think that it's an interesting experiment in the idea of like, what, how, how do you extend this? Kind of in the same way that a few months ago, we saw people taking canvases of art and doing the generative fill on the outside to show like where the girl in the pearl earring was from or uh, you know, I took like the scream painting and they expanded it to just show more of the scream environment, which I don't necessarily think was a disservice for those artists. I do think this is obviously a sensitive topic, but I do. I, I think it's interesting. I think it's also just a great piece in general. I'm a fan of Keith Haring's work. So it was interesting to see this pop up. And you're just in time for our next segment, which is resources. <laughs> Resources. 
this is created by Cynthia Huyen Tan, uh, not the entire site, but this specific link. And it is a collection of design tools that are open to the public that you can go and you can mess around with. If you actually are a member of Arena, you can even hop in and you can then contribute design resources that are there. So it, it goes across the entire board. You know, we have resources for design job se uh, seekers, designers that are cool. You also have people who are just posting some really interesting portfolio sites, a guide to creating your PDF portfolio. When you hover over these different things, you can see who it was added by. And Cynthia, for the most part, has added all of them. But I, I just want to add that it is possible to add from other people. So you might want to check as to what's going on. But her whole idea is being able to just share and openly talk about the resources that are being used to make creation. You can cop in here that have different packs, textures, you can go through and it has different design tools. Also, I will be constantly looking for resources for this show because this is going to be a, a recurring segment. So if you have resources or something that you use all the time that you're really excited about, please let me know. Speaking of things that are on the internet that are fun to find, but isn't necessarily a design resource. Let's hop into one of my favorite ones I'm excited about, and it's hyperlinks. So this is going to be a segment that we have hyperlinks that is just kind of cool things that I feel like artists are having fun on the internet. This is called A Walking Poem, and I found it online, and basically it accesses your location and then gives you these small poems to then explore the environment around you. And so we have a walking poem. When I loaded the website, it asked for my location. And then we have this slider, which can talk about how long you want to have your poem and the idea of how long you want to walk. It's created by a guy named Javier Arce. He says it generates psychogeographical poems using real Google Maps directions from your current location to a random place around you. And it's walk.javier.computer, uh, very simple website. And so I'm gonna actually show you guys what it does. Also for people listening, uh, the slider happens when you click the dot and you extend it to say that you want a longer approach. It adds more O's to poem. So it says a walking poem. And we're gonna hit read poem. So when we do that, it fades away very beautifully. And it has this new thing. It says, look at your phone, turn to stay on Flatbush Avenue, meditating on the nature of existence. Turn right onto Brooklyn Bridge Promenade with a smile on your face and join your heart. Destination will be on the right. You can cry now. Uh, and one of the fun things here is that there's actually a slowly animated map on the back that is animating your journey. And if you scroll up and down, it then brings it on and off. And the other thing that I thought was really interesting about this internet toy was that it doesn't tell you what the destination is at the end. The entire idea is that it's a poem where you go and you experience it, and then it's just something at the end. Like it's pulling randomly from Google Maps. So maybe it's like a Denny's, it, maybe it's a random monument. It can be anything, but it kind of just gets you out and, and uses technology in a way to interact with the outside world. It's just a small little product. I don't think it's anything huge. And it's walk.javier.computer and it's completely free. And you guys should check it out. Let's go ahead, though, and hop into the font of the week. Now, the font of the week for this week is Ace That Nova. It is this 
cute Adobe font. I'm going to try to always make them Adobe font so that they are accessible. And also I don't cost you guys like $500 a week by telling you to buy a new typeface. But the reason I chose this one is that we are in this turning point in design where there is a nice focus on serifs again. And the idea that we were in the sans serif simplification of absolutely everything from Google's logo to every other tech brand out there. It's interesting and exciting to have these kind of humanist ideas coming back. Asat Nova, a simple display font. It is created by the Northern Block by Mariah Leish. Nova is a display type family equipped with extended Latin and extended acrylic character set. It features rounded serifs, ball terminals, and soft corners. I particularly like it because of its softness. I tend to like soft typefaces. I think that they can make a product or whatever you're trying to advertise more approachable. But I do think that it has a professionalism that can totally work with like a tea company, or maybe you could do it on some sort of park meetup or you could even do it um, for a boutique. I think you might even could probably use this some sort of like movie poster for maybe something that's a little bit more heartfelt. Comes in light, regular, medium, bold, and black, and you can check it all out through Adobe Fonts. And let's move on to rebrand. Did you know that Honda has introduced a new logo? Uh, reverting to a style reminiscent of its 1961 original unveiled at CES, the logo will be exclusive to Honda's next generation electric vehicles. It features a simplified, flatter design with sharply angled lines designed to symbolize outstretched hands. I don't see the outstretched hands. I mean, I guess maybe like, maybe. Um, and it's making a move uh, that reflects a broader trend in logo design where brands are modernizing their historic logos, but also referencing the past and is blending nostalgia with contemporary styles. The new logo will be seen on roads with the production of their electronic vehicles in 2026. So you won't be seeing this immediately. But all in all, I think I think it works well. I mean, I definitely think that it feels like it's competing with the idea of Tesla, it feels like it is trying to feel more electronic and less analog. And I think it still, it still reads. I know a big issue that happened with Kia earlier in the year is Kia had this big rebrand and they merged all their letters together. And actually there was a report that basically there was a Google surge of people searching what the KN logo was for Kia. And they have stuck by their guns and Kia still has their new logo. But I can see this on the front of a car. I can see this on grills. I can see this definitely like lighting up with LEDs. I don't think that that is that insane to, to think about. I, I, it's pretty close to their old one. I do like the containment of the previous one. It gives it more structure and a, a better ability to be placed in more places without kind of having to deal with the negative space around it. But you know, I don't think we should hate it just because it's new. I, there are definitely worse rebrands. There are worse rebrands. What do you guys think? How do you guys feel about it? Kendall is saying as far as the Honda new logo is saying, now I see a dumbbell and Umicorn is agreeing that they also see it. So I could see a dumbbell with it. I mean, it'd be a very fashionable dumbbell. It's not directly through the middle. And so it'd be weird distributed weight for a dumbbell. But with that in mind, I think that it can still kind of have that illusion, but I don't think that it can be, there's worse things to be compared to, you know, like I, there's always the few things that you really don't want your logo to look like. And dumbbell is kind of one that's, that's, that's kind of fine. I think, I think it'd be good. 
but a few weeks ago, also, while I was looking through this, I decided I wanted to talk about it, was Trivago also recently did a rebrand. And the older one is on the top, the newer one's on the bottom. They are adopting a playful, engaging style with hand-draw illustrations to complement the new logo. The design was developed in collaboration with Design Studio, and I, I don't want to say this because of monetization. The studio is called Nice, S-H-I-T. And it features a new mascot, Hank, who is uh, this little door frame that then kind of flips around and has colorful grinning animations to it, you name it. It has a new voice and a new logo, and I am not sold on it, I will say. I, I think that to me, it reads as Revago with a strange, um, with the strange T, but the T doesn't read as like a T to me as much. I like the new colors a lot. You can see this is the new mascot. I, I saw in design trends that the mascot for the company brand is coming back. It's something that was kind of done away with for a little bit there but i'm excited to see that it's returning i think it's a cute i think it's a cute character i don't necessarily see the direct connection with the t i don't understand why the t looks the way it is i also don't know what this is happening here i don't know if it's supposed to be representing like this is part of it and like this would be the t like this is upside down but they have these cute characters that have a distinct drawing style i'm glad they don't look like corporate design they look like their own thing. I think that's really cute here. I love the colors here. I love the typeface that they chose for everything else. But if it were to come down to it, I, I think it's still a successful rebrand. I think that it's not bad. I just don't like the T. I would I would scrap the T and 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 maybe keep everything else. Summercorn says it looks like a person falling backwards from some height. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like woo. Yeah. The creative boom seems to take an approach where they, they liked it, which is interesting. I mean, you know, I don't I don't necessarily think it's a poor redesign. It has a custom font, savvy, grotesque, created in partnership with Studio Fixing. Perfect. Great. Loves when company have their own uh, specific typefaces. Great. Good on you, Hank. I hope you guys figure out the logo. Keep Hank. Change the logo a little bit. Uh, let's move on to Ticket Booth. So I wanted to actually just give full credit over here to Hyperallergic. They actually have an article, 10 art shows to see in New York this January. And I wanted to share them with you guys. This one is Kelly Sina Mary, The Fables of Sam Barris. And they are these beautiful, beautiful paintings. Uh, they remind me a little bit of the Obama portrait of him in front of all of the different greenery behind him. And if you're listening to this, basically it's a woman holding some type of bird and her flesh is replaced with other leaves. So you have this background that's leaves, but you also have the hands that are leaves. So that's definitely a show to go see. It's her first New York solo show, which is really cool. And it is at the ASON Gallery, which is 35 Great Jones Street, NoHo, Manhattan. And it is through January 13th. So you have until tomorrow. <laughs> so everyone rush the gates. Next up, we have Cynthia Lotti, Little Storms. And that is the James Fuentes Gallery. And it is ceramic figures. And it's most interesting when the imagery starts to bleed and morph into something less recognizable. Also through January 13th. Um, this one goes through January 27th, though. It's Restraint. And it's at Sergeant Daughters, which is on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And it's a trio of artists. And it exhibits a refreshing degree of vulnerability in work that navigates a fine line between restraint and what at times feels like anxiety. We also have a Pit Su Lak Quim 
Quimir pick, and this is at the Java project, and it is through the 31st. It's in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. It says the village of Kinguet in Canada's new uh, Nunavut region self-styles as the capital of Inuit art with an estimated one out of five residents employed in creative pursuits. Dang, that's awesome. One in five creative pursuits? Like, that is a good family you got going on there, guys. Like, that's pretty cool. But then we have Joanna Wuss, True to Life. That is available through February 2nd, and that is in the Lower East Side. Then we have Africa and Byzantium, and that is at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, housing Fifth Avenue, Upper East Side, Manhattan, through March 3rd, so you have time to see that one. And this has pieces that range from conventional Roman mosaics to Coptic iconography and Tunisian coins. We have Medieval Money, Merchants, and Morality, which sounds really cool. That is at the Morgan Librarian Museum in Murray Hill over in Manhattan, Madison Avenue, and that's through March 10th. And then we have the Emily L. Goussat's Otherworlding, which has like a Maypole fun installation. And that's at the Queens Museum through April 7th. Uh, and we are getting so close to actually being at our time. So I wanna make sure we have our last segment because we are just breezing through this and to check out Spotlight. Spotlight is uh, just a little space where we can go and we can talk about different artists that have cool work that I have found. Uh, the first one is a video filtering approach called motion extraction that kind of reminded me of data moshing. And it is from this guy, Mikhail DeBoer, uh, also known as Posey. And he basically takes a piece of work and he, instead of focusing on the full piece, he then takes it and says, okay, this is the only things that are moving in this piece. So this is just the motion and that's what's highlighted and then once it stops moving it's no longer highlighted and he does it for a few different things and there's this fountain i'll show you in a second and it just switches to only show you with the fountain moving this can work a little bit with data moshing but not entirely it's kind of something that is kind of combined with some data moshing tools but it's not in the same way and it calls motion extraction i thought it was very cool and make sure you check this out this was on this is colossal.com and this is from michael DeBoer. We also have these really cool collages by Sean Serafini, and they feel kind of like these postcards that you would get, but they have really cool die marks and feels like halftone marks that are really nice and they're really pretty. And they're just cool to kind of flip through and, and have a nostalgic feel to it, but they also feel like they're super zoomed in, but you also kind of get the idea of a larger image out of it. This one feels like a stamp and that's Sean Serafini. And then one last thing that I wanna pull up is also from This Is Colossal. And it is these giant cones that have been wrapped around a column. And it says SPY transforms a Ghent building into a spiny thicket of bright orange traffic cones. And I love the close-ups of the views of these images. It's cool how when something's in bulk, it can look like something else. And then they illuminate it from the inside. So then they're like these glowing orange towers. They have aerial views too, which is really cool. And I just thought this was such a cool story. And I saw this and I thought I would have to share it. Anyway, that does put us at time, you guys. Thank you so much for listening to me ramble on for an entire hour. We will be back here again next week. As I said, if you weren't able to catch the full live stream, I am going to be looking into having this available with your podcast, both maybe a video or just audio. And I'm really excited to kick this show off. This is episode 39. I have it for the next foreseeable few weeks. So we will be here every Friday at four. It will be on the dot because it is through Adobe. So it's not like I'm like, oh, four, but maybe I'll go live at like 4.15. Like I will be live at four o'clock every Friday. I hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Once again, I'm Ryan Selvy, R-Y-A-N-S-E-L-V-Y. Follow me on Instagram, YouTube, you name it. And I hope to talk to y'all soon. Thank you.